minute past the hour of 6 o'clock. Good evening. Good evening. It's the Mark Riley Show. I am he. And we have a busy, busy show for you because we got a lot of stuff to tell you about, including the Koch brothers and how much money they're going to spend next year. A blizzard that wasn't the blizzard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain, that weatherman that is. Investment riches built on subprime car loans. Sheriffs want to, uh, well, put it this way. Sheriffs and cops have a problem with Waze, and we'll tell you what Waze is. Chris Christie forms a political action committee for what? I don't know. And the Super Bowl's coming up. But first, I have to admit I have been remiss. Last week, or I think it was either last week or the week before, we talked about New York Times reporter James Risen in the context of an ongoing trial, a trial of a whistleblower by the name of Jeffrey Sterling. We did not talk enough about Jeffrey Sterling, and Monday he was convicted, became the fifth person in American history to be charged and convicted with mishandling national defense information under the Espionage Act. We have two guests back-to-back who will discuss these particular cases, uh, I should say this particular case, and its implications for speech and its, uh, its implication, quite frankly, for whistleblowing. Joining us, former executive director of the Fund for Investigative Journalism and reporter for The Washington Post, The Washington Star, UPI, and other news organizations, also the author of Government by Contract and co-author of The Lost Frontier, The Marketing of Alaska. A pleasure to welcome Mr. John Hanrahan to the Mark Riley nice Show. nice to be here. Thank you so much Happy for joining Happy to be here. I really appreciate it. Tell us, if you would, a little bit, because you, you've covered this particular story. You've written about this story. Who is Jeffrey Sterling? Well, Jeffrey Sterling is a former uh, CIA uh, officer who served in the CIA for uh, 10 years. Uh, he now lives out in Missouri and, of course, lived in the Washington area. Uh, he's uh, African-American, and that becomes very relevant to the, the story. Uh, he was uh, involved. Uh, he was the uh, sort of the manager of a, a Russian uh, scientist who was a defector and was in at, the, in at the beginning when the CIA concocted what was really a bizarre and possibly dangerous scheme to provide a faulty uh, nuclear weapons plans to uh, Iran. Hmm. And the, the uh, scientist was deposed as a you know, disgruntled uh, person who was happy. He wanted to get uh, paid for his work and was to deliver them to some uh, Iranians. And uh, Sterling, um, as, as time went on, became more uh, disenchanted with uh, this whole notion of this, this scheme that it was dangerous. The, the, plan, the Russian scientist had said, when he took a look at the plans, they were supposed to be plans that had embedded flaws in them that not even you know, experts could spot right off. And the, the CIA's notion was that this would take Iran down the nuclear path and in the wrong direction and, and screw them up for, for years. Mm. Uh, Sterling um, uh, had, as, as this uh, went on, he had uh, finally, because of the discrimination within the agency, had filed an anti-discrimination uh, suit. And, uh, and in the process of that, this is how he came into contact with James Risen. The, the defense acknowledges that he was in contact with Risen because Risen wrote a story about him in the New York Times about discrimination within the CIA focusing on 
Sterling's case. No, wait a minute. Let me and, stop you there for a second because yeah, I, sure. I want the audience to understand. You just yes. said James Risen wrote about uh, uh, Jeffrey Sterling's discrimination complaint. He was also doing some writing about this flawed plan, but his editors never published it, right? Yeah, oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Risen uh, was ready to go with the story in uh, 2003, and uh, then uh, uh, the CIA, of course, he called the CIA for comment, and they immediately told him this would be a, you know, a, essentially a treasonous act to report on this. They subsequently called a meeting at which uh, Condoleezza Rice and the CIA uh, people met with the New York Times editors and James Risen, and, so, and, and Rice had talking points in front of her saying that this was not only going to be dangerous to this scientist who was supposed to pass on the plans, but to many other people and to maybe cause the, the deaths of thousands of people. And, of course, we've all heard that before on the... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, from Condoleezza Rice, <laughs> yeah. yes, from Condoleezza, and she testified at the at the trial, and the defense, of course, made a stab at uh, trying to say, well, what else was going on when you were uh, taking on the New York Times, and they wanted to sort of say, well, you know, the war in Iraq was uh, uh, just about underway. And uh, they hope to get in some questions about, you know, credibility over the WMDs. The judge would not allow them to go down that path. Really? So, you know, so Sterling was faced with various uh, obstacles uh, coming in. First of all, I mean, I should mention that the the jury was uh, there were no African Americans on the jury, and Alexandria, Virginia, where the town where the trial was held, is twenty one percent African American population. Then he was not able to, you know, even though you and I and others may say, this is the craziest scheme I ever heard of, you couldn't argue that, you know, you couldn't argue that to the jury, that it was a crazy scheme anyway, mm-hmm. or a dangerous to us, or the merits of it. And and he couldn't, uh, uh, you know, so, he, so it was, in that respect, he had to really, uh, uh, the government had to show certain things, Sterling, though, chose you know not to testify, which seemed like a, a wise thing under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I'm sorry, I should I should complete the thought on on Condoleezza Rice. They they killed the story in 2003. The Times refused to run it. Risen, being a very principled uh, reporter, continued to pursue the story, uh, and then published it in his 2006 book, State, State of War. Of War and, yeah. And that's the that drove the the CIA up the wall. And as the trial showed, I mean, the the, the defense attorneys and he had he had very good defense attorneys mm-hmm. uh, that uh, tried to show that this that the CIA was using this trial sort of to regain its reputation. That he had in the book, Risen had said that the Russian scientists, when he looked at these plans, said, "No, the Iranians will recognize right off that these are." Uh, that there's flaws in them. This this scheme just won't work, uh, and that Risen's book suggests that the Iranians, if they were pursuing a nuclear weapon, that this would have brought them closer. That this would have been, helped them, you know, warts and all. And uh, so, when in the prosecution and go in their closing arguments and going through Risen's book, chapter nine specifically. Uh, looked at it and, and said, they would say, Mr. Risen wrote this, it is correct. Mr. Risen wrote that, it's correct. Up to the point where it says the plan was flawed and was likely to cause uh, harm rather than to help uh, the U.S. position. Mm-hmm. And this is what 
gets them. They want to maintain, and all their witnesses maintain, this was a wonderful program that was going well until uh, Jeffrey Sterling uh, came along and dismantled it. And, of course, there was no, there was a lot of interesting, uh, whatever you want to call it, chronology connected with Sterling. He continued, he had contacts with, uh, with Ryzen. They had the phone records. Uh, I think it's Marcy Wheeler of the organization I'm with, ExposedFacts.org, oh, yeah. Yeah. pointed out that um, that these 16 or 17 phone calls that they track took up a total of something like two minutes and 40 seconds, and that the contention of the defense was that Ryzen had written about his anti about his discrimination suit, uh, and that he was continuing to keep him apprised of that. Uh, as I, as I, one of the pieces that I wrote, which I said it was the Sterling prosecution was long on rhetoric but short on evidence. Yes, yeah. Whenever they could, they would pull out the. This is very dangerous. That he could have caused, uh, you know, the end of the world practically because of this leak, and uh, that he brought danger upon the. That he prevented uh, them being able to recruit other uh, spies, other defectors, etc., and that he, uh, you know, essentially was endangering all of us. Now, the, the the jury pool in Northern Virginia, I mean, Northern Virginia, of course, is where the CIA is, the Defense Intelligence Agency, other uh, spy agencies are located over there. It was also, uh, you know, of course, uh, the 9-11 attack on the Pentagon. So a lot of people either had friends or relatives, and they're very uh, susceptible, I think, to believing what the uh, government uh, uh, government says more so than say in the District of Columbia, where where I live. But they love mm-hmm. to try these national security cases over there because they figure they get a more receptive uh, uh, jury. And Wait, I think uh, let that, me stop you there too, because sure. uh, it's also true, isn't it, that the jury came back and said they couldn't reach a verdict, and the you're, judge you're sent absolutely back? right. Yes, they came back and said. This was about, uh, and then they broke for lunch, so at about just a little before noon, 11.45 or so, they came back and said, we are deadlocked on several counts, they said, and which the judge said later, reading, you know, after they were out, reading between the lines, they've obviously reached a verdict on some counts and, and not on others. Of course, nobody knew in which direction. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, came back uh, a little before uh, three and rendered, uh, which I think even to people who weren't, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, partial to uh, Sterling, such as myself, I think a lot of the other reporters uh, from, uh, you know, uh, publications were were surprised at this uh, uh, unanimous uh, guilty verdict. And the thing again is, you you could have sat there in that courtroom and listened to the chronology they they laid out of contacts uh, and different periods between Ryzen and Sterling, and say, you know, it, it's likely, or maybe likely, that he was one of Ryzen's sources. And I should point out, Ryzen has always what he has said is he had multiple sources. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that it's very likely, but you don't convict some, somebody on very likely. They had no evidence at all that Sterling had ever met with Ryzen. They had no evidence at all that he'd ever given him a key document in this case. They had no evidence or witness that he had taken any documents out of the CIA relating to this or that he had electronically transferred a document you know, from the CIA to his account. They had, uh, it, it was very, I mean, incredibly uh, flimsy case. And yet I think ultimately this sort of, uh, you know, as the prosecution hammered on in its closing arguments, 
that you know this this guy was uh, secrets are very important. Secrets let out can endanger us all, et cetera, et cetera. But they never and, proved uh, that he did that, though, did they? They never proved it. You're absolutely right. I mean, you you said you can you can speculate that maybe he was one of the sources. The other the other interesting thing that the de- that the defense pulled out and not just pulled out it was they they you the government witnesses they they cross-examined them very brilliantly where the fbi agent who had handled the case for 10 or 11 years she was then asked but didn't you write this is by the defense didn't you write a memo uh uh in the case around i forget the year if it's 2005 2006 that jeffrey uh sterling couldn't couldn't be the one who leaked this information. Yes, didn't you say that, Jeffrey, uh, that it is likely that the leak came from the Senate Select Intelligence Committee? Yes, I did write that in the memo. Didn't you also write that you were blocked from investigating the Senate Select Intelligence uh, Committee because the chairman, Pat Roberts, a Republican of Kansas at the time, said they would not cooperate and the staff director said he would, uh, who was a Republican, who said, uh, I won't talk to you at all. And she said, yes, that's, that's all correct. And they got other witnesses from that committee to say James Risen on other matters had been in contact with people on that committee or had written stories uh, uh, that involved that committee. So Risen, the, the, the really good reporter that he is, had, is clear from the trial, had sources within the Senate Select Intelligence Committee other government agencies. Uh, it, it was uh, you, you thought for a while that James Risen was the only person who was writing investigative <laughs> stories over there. But it was, uh, and Risen, of course, did not, as you you've had programs before on this, did not have to uh, testify. Testimony. And as you said at the at the outset, that um, I mean, my colleague uh, Norman Solomon wrote a piece I think today in ExposedFacts.org, referring to or yesterday referring to. Uh, Jeffrey Sterling as the invisible man, because yeah. for so long the focus was on Ryzen, and we, and we ourselves were guilty of that. We suddenly said, well, wait a minute, who is Jeffrey Sterling, and why I'm guilty of it myself. about him? I- I'm guilty myself of that same thing. John Hammerhand, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you two sure. uh, uh, very quick questions. One, how much time is, uh, is Jeffrey Sterling facing here? Well, the, um, as, as I, I believe he could. I mean, this is, of course way on the outside of it. I guess if you added up all the charges, it could be uh, you know, over 100 years. Uh, I don't know what this, this judge will do. Uh, uh, I, you know, of course, in the Manning trial, in the Chelsea Manning trial, she got 35 years, which was uh, outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no way of, of knowing, but that's, you know, that's what he's facing. A lot of these charges involve some of the same sort of uh, acts, so it's... Uh, uh, it's really going to be up to the uh, the judge. He is free on bail. He is free to go back to uh, Missouri where he's living. Uh, and, uh, you know, he has to report in there. They'll do a pre-sentencing report, and then he'll be sentenced. Uh, I forget the date. I think it's April 24th. Okay. Now, final and, quick question. Have you heard anything? I haven't heard anything from James Risen about this conviction. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. And I imagine, uh, I, I mean, I can sort of understand why and uh i think whatever contact he may or may not have had with sterling uh over this he it's it's probably in sterling's best interest that he not say anything i i just i don't know why i say that exactly but it seems i i should say we some of us tried to talk to some jurors after the uh 
the, the trial, and they sort of in a body sort of walked together to uh, leave and wouldn't, wouldn't talk to anybody as to give what their reasoning was, why they were deadlocked and then suddenly weren't. Yeah, so. absolutely. James, uh, John Hammerhan, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been very, very insightful. We very much appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I enjoyed, uh, if that's the word, I don't know, enjoyed when you're talking about something so horrible. But uh, Absolutely. So thank you very much for inviting me on. All right. You take care. Have a great day. Okay, and same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. John Hammerhand, author, journalist, contributor to ExposeFacts.org, uh, also uh, the author of a couple of books as well. Right now, we are joined, because we're going to keep talking about Jeffrey Sterling, because nobody else has been talking about him through all these years. A pleasure to welcome to our microphones the campaign coordinator for RootsAction.org, Mr. David Swanson. Good evening. How you doing? Good to be here, and I've been listening to you and John, so I won't uh, repeat anything, I hope. <laughs> you know, I, I, it dawned on me, I think we may have met some years ago, because you were press secretary for Dennis Kucinich, right? I was for his first uh, part of In his 04. first presidential yeah. campaign, that's right. Because I think, it, did you ever go to Air America Radio during that time? Oh, yeah, plenty, I'm yeah. sure. I was working there then, I used to do the morning show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. with Mark Marin, who's now on IFC. He's a big TV star. <laughs> oh, I liked, I liked Air America. Not CIA's Air America, but the radio the Air radio America. radio Air I, America. Uh, I was on uh, plenty of times, and uh, I'm sorry it uh, collapsed. Yeah, absolutely. David Swanson, let me start out by asking you, why do you think the trial, I mean, a lot of people, certainly journalists, focused on James Risen, but why do you think there's been so little focus on Jeffrey Sterling, who was convicted on Monday? You know, I got to speculate. I don't know, um, but I, I don't think that the CIA wants the story out there. We know that Condoleezza Rice uh, got the New York Times to kill it. We know that James Risen only got it out there in a book, you know, a bestseller. But that means statistically, that means virtually nobody has has heard about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had a pool of a hundred potential jurors, and not a single one of them had read the book. You had CIA witnesses intimately involved, and they'd only read that one chapter. People don't read, uh, especially books. Uh, And I I think that you know, this was not a case where Fox News wanted to demonize the guy, because it's hard to call exposing treason treason. You know, I mean, when somebody takes the story of the CIA giving nuclear weapons plans to Iran with some some obvious uh, flaws stuck in there that their that their own Russian uh, uh, agent spotted to their great chagrin, uh, that looks like treason to most people with an understanding of nationalism. And so you can't denounce that in the way that they denounced, uh, say, uh, um, Chelsea Manning or uh, Julian Assange or uh, other people. And so it's a non-story that the CIA doesn't want talked about, that neither political party is picking up, so it's not a partisan fight. Uh, And the activists, we in the activist community, don't have the ability to make a story out of nothing. We can change how people see a story. We can take a demon and make him an angel, but we can't create a story out of nothing. We tried. You know, we got uh, Roots Action. We got over 100,000 signatures and lots of organizations on our petition around James Risen. We have a petition at dropthecharges.org about Jeffrey Sterling, and it's just 
popped 50,000. Uh, it's not too late. There's still the sentencing. There's still the appeal. You can go to dropthecharges.org. Um, and, and I think it's ridiculous because, you know, even the media watchers are saying the important thing is that the reporter didn't have to reveal his sources. Well, what are reporters going to do without sources? Yeah. You know, if sources are going to go to prison and alleged sources and people who look like they might have been sources who filed a, a grievance over racism are going to go to prison. Well, you know, where are your sources going to be? I got to I got to say this, David, because I, and I, I say this as an African-American. OK, uh, Condoleezza Rice, Eric Holder, Barack Obama, Jeffrey Sterling. What they all got in common? They're all black people, for God's sake. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, he, he should get some special dispensation because Obama's black and he's black. But I just find it. I don't, I, I, it, it makes the hair on my arm stand up that uh, the major players in this and the people who seem to be happiest that Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Sterling's conviction are black people, for God's sake. Well, you know, three of those four have something else in common. They're working for some quite evil policies in, in a quite corrupt government. Uh, one of those four is an absolute hero if he did what they allege, and even if he didn't, because we know that he took this story to the Senate, which is what you're supposed to do. You're mm -hmm. supposed to go through channels, go to oversight in the Congress, and they're supposed to handle it, and they're supposed to tell the public, you know, all of this madness in the name of democracy, but imagine if they asked the U.S. public Public. As a general rule, with no details, do you want your government handing out secret uh, plans for nuclear weapons with some little flaws inserted to random countries around the globe? Of course not. Nobody wants this done. And, you know, I, the, the one point uh, that worried me in your conversation with, with John, because I agreed with the rest and learned a great deal, uh, was the idea that the jury didn't hear how crazy and illegal this was. They mm. did. Uh, the one day that I was there, they heard that it was that it was clearly illegal, violating export control laws to to potentially proliferate nuclear weapons. They heard the admission that there was the chance that that's what was going on. They heard the the defense attorneys question our Russian parts lists usually in the English language and sort of mocking the ridiculousness of it. Mm. They heard that the CIA's own scientists were able to take these flawed plans and build a thing and get it to work in a matter of months. They heard that that Mr. Mr. Merlin, the, the Russian, spotted the flaws that he wasn't supposed to spot. I, I mean, it, it, it looked like uh, absolute, absurd, reckless, keystone cop behavior, uh, even to the jury. But it was a very young, all-white jury, intentionally and illegally selected in the state of Virginia, which had no connection to the case. David Swanson is our guest. He is the campaign coordinator for RootsAction.org. Talk, if you would, a little bit, David, about uh, uh, Jeffrey Sterling going to the Senate? Because I'm not sure most people, even who, who took a cursory look at the trial, understood that's what he did. Well, that's what we know he did, admittedly did. Uh, it's public knowledge and not a secret that he went to the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, about this and other matters. Uh, and that, And that's what any law-abiding 
uh, employee in the U.S. government is supposed to do. That's what candidate Barack Obama seven years ago advocated, that, that we ought to honor whistleblowers, encourage whistleblowers. They ought to, when they see something outrageous and illegal and immoral, they should report it. Uh, and we know that he did that. I mean, he, he ought to be held up as a hero. If we can build up the independent media to the extent where we can create heroes uh, the way that, that many of us tried to do with Chelsea Manning and other whistleblowers, uh, and he's absolutely on the list. Uh, whether he then, to any degree, uh, gave any sort of hints or tips to, uh, to James Risen, uh, I would consider that a proper and legal and heroic act of whistleblowing, but I don't know whether he did it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it's, you know, and, and that they would convict him of espionage, you know, of, of spying for a foreign nation, which was not even remotely brought up, uh, and of all these multiple counts of espionage for giving a document to James Risen that they never found, could never prove, could never tie to him in any way of, of, of exposing this fact and that fact to James Risen. Uh, I mean, it's just overkill uh, that apparently was accepted by this jury that was presented with a CIA that can do no wrong and is out to defend you, uh, a jury whose entire lifetimes have been spent during this so-called war on terror. Imagine being one of those jurors and decades from now realizing that the CIA lies and, and the man is still possibly going to be in a cage. That, 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 that is truly frightening. And I got to tell you, the, the whole process here, you know, we, we are as Americans encouraged on a daily basis to believe in the legal system, that the legal system is, is the one thing they don't get it wrong or they, they'll admit they get it wrong every now, every now and then, like when they didn't indict Darren Wilson out in Ferguson. Uh, but generally speaking, we are supposed and encouraged. And in fact, I think President Obama said after that jury out in Ferguson didn't indict Darren Wilson, well, we have to believe in the system. The system did what it was supposed to. We may not agree with the decision, but the system works. This yeah. situation where they had not one scintilla of proof of anything and still managed to convict this guy rocks my belief, shakes my belief uh, in the legal system to its very core. Well, at the, we mean we're in an age when we can watch a man choked to death on video, and we're supposed to not believe our lying eyes. So we're supposed to go with what the system turns out, and yeah. there's no indictment. Uh, you know, this was this was circumstantial evidence presented with an air of great authority and secretiveness, and envelopes with red top secret ribbons around them, with nothing inside except how to use a rotary telephone, which supposedly he wasn't uh, Sterling wasn't supposed to have brought those papers home, you know. I, I mean, it, it, it was just a, a charade of sort of authoritarian uh, demand for obedience, uh, and you were—it's it's guilty until proven innocent. Uh, and there was no way to prove Sterling innocent. And so, imagine if if he is innocent of of this heroic act, and if James Risen knows it and has a real source or multiple sources, and they're all willing to come forward and say it wasn't him; it was these people, and they're willing to step forward, so I'm not revealing them, they still couldn't, they can't do that because they still couldn't prove that Sterling wasn't also a source. You, you, can't, you can't prove innocence, uh, and it, so it's upside down from what we're taught it's supposed to be. It's supposed yeah. to be innocent until proven guilty. Now, uh, what does this entire affair tell you about the lack of competence of the Central Intelligence Agency? These are the people 
who, uh, 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 you know, prosecutors got a jury to believe are responsible for keeping Americans safe. Yet, uh, as you described it, uh, they came up with a keystone cop kind of plan here that seemed to have no chance of working whatsoever. And if it did, may have violated U.S. law. Well, clearly violated U.S. law and international law, and you watched this trial for days, and it was very little about prosecuting Sterling. It was all about defending the CIA's reputation in a courtroom with virtually no media present about a book that virtually nobody has read. Uh, and and everyone's obser- these observers are commenting. It's all about reclaiming their reputation, reclaiming it. From when? When did they have a good reputation? <laughs> when in the existence of the CIA have they not been making matters worse all over the globe, exposing secrets to, to Germany while, while imagining they were getting secrets from the Russians from day one? Uh, I mean, this is an agency out of control, engaged in secretive warfare, uh, an agency killing young men and women uh, who, who are no more guilty or proven guilty than, than Jeffrey Sterling with missiles from drones uh, week after week. Uh, This is an agency that should be abolished, not reformed, not fixed, not have its reputation polished up. Uh, And and yet I doubt a single juror in that uh, in that courtroom uh, had considered the possibility that there's something wrong with a secret murderous agency in a government that's supposed to be of by and for the people. David Swanson, thank you so much for joining us now. Uh, what was that website you were talking about? Uh, it's dropthecharges.org, Drop and please, please go there. All right. We really appreciate your time with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. David Swanson, campaign coordinator for rootsaction.org. Now, uh, we spent the first half hour talking about Jeffrey Sterling because when I read on Monday that he had been convicted, I was I, I felt like I had somehow— uh, missed the boat in not talking about him enough on this program. So we did this half hour with two really good guests uh, to give some perspective here about what has happened to this man and what he's facing, which could be as long as 100 years in prison. We got a bunch of other stuff to talk about. Our number is 888-874-4888. By the way, uh, uh, and I don't know how this happened, but apparently we missed Harriet from Bayside last week. I don't know. She she sent me a Facebook post that said, why didn't you take my call? I didn't know that she was on the line. I don't even think Jason knew she was on the line. Uh, so my apologies to Harriet from Bayside, but 888-874-4888 is our number. We got a bunch of other stuff on the plate, including... Deflated balls. Eight minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. God, I love Plum Blossom. That is just such a beautiful piece of music. Anyway, we got a lot of stuff to talk about and not that much time to talk about it because a quarter to 7, we're going to talk to our good friend Andrew Rosario from Arise TV. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl, the hype, Marshawn Lynch, deflated ball, the whole nine yards. But in the meantime, and I know some of y'all are going to say, well, what are you spending so much time on the Super Bowl for? 
because an awful lot of you are going to spend some time watching. Hey, Jason, you watching the Super Bowl? Yeah, me too. All right, let's be honest. Progressives watch the Super Bowl. There's no law. Uh, but, but let's uh, start out by telling you something that should frighten each and every one of you. The Koch brothers, yes, those Koch brothers, are getting ready to spend nearly a billion dollars on next year's elections. There's a network of conservative advocacy groups backed by Charles and David Koch. You know, they got their name on the uh, somewhere, something down there in Lincoln Center. I forgot what it was. Ballet, something. I don't know. I don't even know which one it is. A billion dollars to get one of theirs in the White House. Some of it will return their calls in the White House. And Jason, who's going to stop them? Who's going to stop? I'll tell you who's going to stop them. If anybody's going to stop them, we're going to stop them. We got time. It's like 2015. We know these people are lining up all this money. How do we know? Because they were out in Rancho Mirage, California. Notice they didn't go to El Segundo to have this particular meeting. Uh, And this may actually involve putting some of their money into the Republican primaries. More on that in a minute when we talk about Chris Christie. So uh, it's a massive, massive, massive goal. And uh, this is an annual meeting hosted by Freedom Partners, which is the business lobby that serves as the hub of the Koch-backed political operations. This amount, by the way, is more than double the 17 allied groups take in 2012, which was $407 million. That's right. The Koch brothers are trying to influence the outcome of next year's presidential election. And most importantly, they don't care who knows about it. And their apologists, among those who will become president, have already tipped their hand, whether it's Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio or Rand Paul or the rest of these people. They're all one. As far as they're concerned, the Koch brothers best thing since sliced bread. So forewarned, ladies and gentlemen, is forearmed. The blizzard of Oz. (laughs) That's right. The blizzard that kind of sort of what. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened. All right. I remember some years ago, I can't even remember the year because I'm old and feeble, but there was a time back in the day when there was a blizzard coming and they, the radio station I worked for put us up in a hotel because I was working a morning show then. And they said, well, you're not going to be able to get back in here in the morning. So, they, I mean, they put us up in a really nice hotel, kitchen and everything. I think we played cards. or something. I know Larry Hardesty was there too. Larry's over at ESPN now. Anyway, the next day we wake up early in the morning Walk to the radio station, it's like a dusting of snow. Now, we got more than a dusting here. But I got to tell you, Jason, I have to say, man, shutting down the subway system, no, no, no. Even in the blizzard of 1888, which, you know, was a really bad blizzard from what I've read, they kept the elevated lines running. The elevated lines were running. That's right. Uh, apparently... There were bars along the Ninth Avenue elevated that were like hoisting kegs of whiskey to the people that were stuck in the train above their heads. Anyway, uh, I I read certain arcane pieces of history. What can I tell you? Uh, But shutting the trains and, you know, the the guy that's headed the MTA Pendergrass apparently kind of had to flip flop saying at first, well, no, we probably won't shut the system. And then the governor turns around, yeah, we're shutting the system. And he didn't even give the mayor a heads up that they were shutting the system. 
See, uh, Andrew Cuomo is playing bully boy with, with Bill de Blasio, but that's another discussion for another day. You don't leave people, the people who work late shifts. It's almost as though the city forgot that it's a 24-hour city. It's almost as though New York said, well, hey, later, for the, later for the doorman, later for the postal workers, later for all the people who really don't have the ability to you know, find a space on their job to sleep or their job's not putting them up in a hotel, later for them. They'll have to get home the best way they know how because we're shutting everything. Now, whether they had to shut it or not, to me, is irrelevant. This is a dangerous—this isn't, like, Peoria. This ain't Podunk. This is New York. A good part of the subway system here—Jason, am I giving people a big revelation here? It runs underground, for God's sake. So keep the underground part running. If the elevated part is is in such bad shape you can't get trains through— then run it on the underground part, switch the, switch the trains to the other side, to the downtown side, but keep the trains running to the extent you can. And Pendergrass, by the way, said that you can't do that. Well, they've done it before. They've done it before when, during really, really, really bad snowstorms. Now, Pendergrass said yesterday, it would be unwise. It would have been unwise to run fractured service, potentially stranding passengers along the way. Well, you stranded passengers anyway, homie. Quote, for somebody who knows an awful lot about this system, as I do, I'm a little surprised I said what I did, talking about keeping the service running. Uh, he said regular service was able to return more quickly because of the shutdown. No, regular service was able to re- return more quickly because it didn't snow as much as everybody said it was gonna. Come on. Come on. What are you... Do you think you're in, like, Phoenix or something? You think there are people here who aren't familiar with mass transit? But, hey, let, let me not go too far off about that. Oh, Khalil is on the line? All right, let's go to Khalil. We got a phone call at 888-874-4888. Khalil, how you doing this evening? Hey, how you doing, Mark? Doing well, man. Listen, uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, for the first couple of questions have to do with your last topic, if it's okay if I can ask you some questions about that. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. If I can answer yeah. them, I will. What was his name? Uh, Swanson? The guy Swanson? Uh, he was the guest. Yeah, David Swanson. Your guest, David Swanson. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's funny because it, it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle, but if, if if you really sit down and write all these different pieces down on a separate piece of paper and put them out on the table, and you look at American history, this this this, this stuff is not adding up in terms of what the CIA does. I know. Right? You know, going going back to Iraq, I'm going back to uh yeah um um Iran when 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 they um deposed um Mossadegh, right, and they put the Shah of Iran in. That right? was what fifty three, fifty four, right. Yeah. Exactly. That wasn't as long after World War And remember, they jobbed Nelson Mandela along the way. They killed Patrice Lumumba. You know, I mean, remember that the, the apartheid forces in South Africa busted Nelson Mandela based at least in part from information from the American CIA. It was the American CIA that pinpointed the location of Patrice Lumumba for those who was ended up shooting him. Look, they, and it's amazing because the, the, the right wing folk, and I, you know, whatever you can have, whatever kind of political views you have. You know, I don't, I don't hate people because of their political views because that's 
us Americans were supposed to have. Me you neither. Know, that's you, right? But, but don't don't act like they are they are great and and they're doing a great job because if you look at their track record, if they were a single person and they were an employee, their ass would have been fired decades ago because they they dropped the ball on nine one one. They dropped the ball before that when Clinton was in when they uh, exploded the bomb in the World Trade Center in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. They they have just ruined things around this country. The USS Cole, the bombings USS in Africa. Cole. Yeah, but you see, here's the thing, Khalil. So few people know the name Jeffrey Sterling that this guy could get 100 years and it's not going to cause a ripple. Darren Wilson, oh. Pantaleo, they get off. They walk. Oh, don't, don't please don't get me sidetracked on that. Please. Well, I mean, look, it, it, the fact is... This guy, who, by the way, had filed a discrimination claim against the CIA, had gone through proper channels with his concerns about this Operation Merlin business and got no satisfaction. And and, and they're going to put And I got to tell you, I'm laying this at Obama's feet. He didn't have to go this far. He didn't have to continue all this. Well, honestly, I, I I just heard, and I, 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 you know, I fancy myself as someone who's uh, active and, and astute and, and has my ear to the ground and whatnot, but today was really the first day that I heard his name a lot, and I, I don't know what y'all was listening to, because I listen to a lot of radio, because I can work and listen to the radio, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, they, so I, I really don't know what station it was or who I was listening to, but they had a good a good segment on, on his situation. And, and like you said, that's that's the point. He went through the channel. He did it the proper way. But you see, a lot of this maybe, and and, and I wouldn't doubt it, is because he's a black guy. They don't really, no, they're not really uh, into, you know, they only, they only hire black people when it's convenient for them in that type of organization. I, I, I wonder what the percentage of blacks in the CIA actually is. Khalil, got to run, man. But thank you so much for calling. Very much appreciated. Uh, Have a good one. Harriet from Bayside, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm glad to get on. Uh, listen, my apologies for you not getting on the other week. Okay. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about someone else has been vilified for weeks, and it came to a head this week. Tell me who. And, and his name is Sheldon Silver. Oh, yeah. Well, look, somebody put out a tweet that yeah. said... Uh, Tuesday, no, no, last Wednesday, all right, a week ago today, we backed Shelly. Yesterday. I'm one of the people who backed Shelly. I know, no, but see, you're not a politician. Yesterday, no, I'm just me. Yeah, yesterday, Shelly's got to go. Today, I'm running for speaker, <laughs> okay? I mean, Is look. Is that Keith right? No, well, there's five people that are in contention and that have yeah. said they want the gig. Well... Uh, I certainly don't want Keith Wright or Morelli. What about uh, Carl Hasty? I don't know enough about him. What about uh, uh, Lentil? I don't know enough about him either, but I want someone who will carry forth Shelley's agenda. What about uh, Kathy Nolan? I don't know enough about her either. Now, she's in Queens. Yeah. She would but, be the first woman speaker ever. But does she oppose charters? Does she oppose... She's very white- close to the union. She's very close to the UFT and Okay, the then that's who I'm for. 
Listen, I got to run, Darian. I hate to cut you off. Okay. We got a last segment, but thank you so much. Okay. Have Bye-bye. a good one. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Now, uh, we haven't got – Andrew Rosario is holding on. I want to get to a couple things real, real quick, all right? Uh, Harry got on one of them. Shelly Silver is leaving his post as Assembly Speaker. He got too much. And I said last week, Jason, what did I say last week? All these Democrats were scared, right? Well, they lost their fear, probably because of all the media attention, so that by yesterday, they were all calling for him to go. Same people who supported him a week ago were telling him, you got to go, yesterday. And today, five of them are in contention to take his place. We shall see. Uh, This thing about, you know, Jason, it bugs me out a little bit that there are people who make goo gobs of they normally they disparage poor people all right working working poor people now, I'm not talking about go out and get a job I'm talking about people who already got jobs all right but don't make a lot of money oh they don't deserve this oh the minimum wage this oh the minimum wage would hurt minorities because minorities ain't worth more than 7 bucks an hour oh blah 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 all right at the same time what happens they sucker poor working poor people in with predatory Car loans, not home loans anymore, car loans. They bundle them up just like they used to do with the mortgage-backed securities, and then they sell them to investors. And it's a huge, huge, huge industry. Article recently in the New York Times, unbelievable how much money these people make. What is irksome to me is that they point the finger at working poor people as being, you know, part and parcel of everything that's wrong with the country, at the same time, they're offering them car loans at 17 to 23 percent annual interest rates. That bugs me. Chris Christie is launching a political action committee. Why do I keep thinking about Rudy Giuliani every time I hear this? All right. Rudy Giuliani. And I'm not sure most people know this. Rudy Giuliani spent more money per delegate than any presidential candidate in U.S. history. You know why, Jason? He only got one delegate. <laughs> so all the money he raised went for one delegate. And I keep thinking the same thing's going to happen to Chris Christie. Now, if people don't really care about the pension stuff and about his reneging, or, or you could call that L-Y-I-N-G, about contributing to the state pension fund, all you have to do, if you want to hurt Chris Christie's presidential aspirations, drive around the state of New Jersey and take pictures of the bridges, Okay. The bridges are in such bad shape. I mean, with all this, uh, you know, rain and snow and all this, you got icicles coming out. If they ever uh, uh, fall on a car, they're going to impale somebody in the head. This is Chris Christie's true legacy. Anyway, we'll leave that uh, for others to figure out. Finally, and I'm going to make this real quick. Sheriffs want to disable police tracking feature on the Google Waze app. Now, I use Waze. My wife turned me on to Waze. God bless her. It's a wonderful, wonderful app. But you know what it does, Jason? It tells you when there are cops in the vicinity. You're going down a highway, and suddenly they'll say, police ahead. Well, the cops don't like that. They say for safety reasons. I say for revenue reasons, because they make money off of this. I don't think there's anything, anything having to do with safety. In point of fact, I believe that Car drivers, if they have ways, slow down <laughs> when, they, when they hear that there's a cop ahead. You'd have to be a zip-dang fool, to quote someone much smarter than me, to, you know, continue at 80 miles an hour once Waze tells you a cop's coming. You slow down. 
theoretically, that makes things a little bit safer. But according to the sheriffs uh, and from other law enforcement agencies across the country, it's endangering safety. You go figure. Right now, it's a pleasure to welcome to our microphone sports reporter for Arise TV, my good friend Andrew Rosario. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Mark. It's great to hear from you. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So the Super Bowl is coming up on the weekend. Me and Jason are both going to watch. I know you're going to watch. Uh, tell me, what do you make of it? And I got to say, I'm sick and tired of hearing about it, but what the heck? I got a show. We might as well say something about it. What is all this deflate gate stuff? Now, apparently... The, one of the NFL investigators is looking to consult uh, 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 a physicist from Columbia University over this issue. What's going on here? You know, it is such, you know, this is the last thing that the NFL needed going into the biggest game of the year. Given that everything went on during the regular season, you know, with uh, Ray Rice and Adrian Peterson, now coming into the biggest game, everyone is talking about deflated footballs. Uh, you've got two of the best teams to ever face each other in a Super Bowl. The matchup is the type of matchup that if you're NBC, you could not have asked for a better matchup. True. You're talking about the Seattle Seahawks, who are looking to repeat for the first time since 2004, playing against the last team that actually repeated the New England Patriots, and now everyone's talking about the deflated footballs and how that might have had an impact on New England beating the Colts to get to this point. And honestly, if it was any other team but the Patriots, this would not be an issue. But because of their past history with Spygate, with them uh, filming uh, a practice, uh, the last time they won the Super Bowl against the Rams, they basically brought this upon themselves. Andrew, um, do you hold anyone in the Patriots organization above the rank of ball boy and equipment manager responsible for deflating these balls? I mean, uh, uh, could it have happened by nature without someone actually deliberately doing this? Or is somebody in this chain of command responsible for this? You know, from what I'm hearing, it's, there, there's, there's no scientific evidence or proof to say that footballs either deflate or increase based on the temperature during the game. That's the first thing. Second of all, there were rumors going back to October when the Colts played the Patriots that suggested that they may have been tampering with footballs back then. Um, you know, they have footage of the ball boy going in, taking those footballs from the referee's locker room into another room, and was they were in, he was in there for about 90 seconds. Now, whether or not that was enough time to deflate those balls, all 12 of them, is, remains to be seen. But we know one thing. After the Super Bowl is over and after, every, after everything dies down and, you know, they're celebrating the new uh, football champion, something's going to happen. There's going to be some type of re resolution as to whether or not um, New England is going to get fined, penalized, lose draft choices, have some of their either head coach or assistant coaches uh, be suspended uh, for the following year. Andrew, uh, I saw snatches of the media day yesterday and a couple of snatches today. Well, you know I'm only here because I don't want to get fined. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. Marshawn Lynch, the star running back for the Seattle Seahawks. 
uh, seems to court trouble. All I saw a list of the fines here: fifty thousand here, fifty thousand there, twenty grand there. He did the media day. Did anybody get anything out of him? Not a thing. I mean, he just kept repeating that I'm only here because I don't want to get fined. Yesterday and today, it basically was the same thing. He sat at the podium and he just kept on regurgitating. You know why I'm here. You know why I'm here. You know why I'm here. Someone even actually asked him, why are you being such a jerk? And his reply was, you know why I'm here. Um, now, he's been wearing this uh, baseball cap that has not been approved by the league. I heard about that. And so they expect him to get fined, you know, based on that as well. The fact that he grabbed his crotch in, last, in, the, in the last championship game against Green Bay, he got fined for that, and he's, and he's expected to be fined for not complying to um, the dress code when he's um, part of the media day. You know, to me, it doesn't make any sense. If the brother does not want to answer questions, then he shouldn't have to. I was at Media Day last year when the Super Bowl was in New York and Media Day was held out in New Jersey, and he didn't even go to a podium. He basically sat on the outside. He was not surrounded by any members of the media. He was actually surrounded by members of the Seattle PR team, and he would not answer or even look at the media. He gave one interview uh, to the NFL Network, Deion Sanders, and that was it. And so the funny thing is this. Say he has a monster game and he gets named the MVP. Is he going to say, I'm going to Disney World? Or is he saying, <laughs> I'm not talking to nobody? And then the following day he's supposed to meet with the commissioner to get handed the MVP trophy. Is he going to shake the commissioner's hand and take the trophy and walk off? Or is he going to be forced to discuss anything about anything leading, you know, having a result of, of the Super Bowl? You know, I, I'm in your corner on this, Andrew. I don't think that any human being should be required to talk to the media. And I'm part of the media. I have been for 40 years. But I, 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 there's something about the media and this uh, uh, requirement that you interact with the media, that's just like, it, 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 it's to me, it's counterintuitive. It's inhuman to somebody who doesn't want to deal with the media. What does the NFL think it's trying to prove here? Or is it one of those things where, well, if, if he does it, then nobody's going to talk to the media eventually? Yeah, I, you know, I think they want to just expose the players to uh, members of the media and also fans that don't, have a very uh, don't interact with him on a regular basis as his normal fans do. He's very well known in the Seattle community for doing a lot of things there. Back in um, Los Angeles, where he grew up in the Compton area, he's known for doing a lot of community action things. But outside of that, he basically shuns the publicity, and and so it's almost like it's making the NFL look like bullies, like bad guys for forcing him to do something that he clearly does not want to do, that he clearly does not feel comfortable doing. He's not an inarticulate individual. He's a very articulate individual. He, you know, he speaks very well. He just chooses the platforms that he's going to put himself on display. Uh, Andrew, let me ask you this. Is all of this stuff with Marshawn Lynch overshadowing 
the personalities on the Patriots, whether it's Tom Brady, who, of course, is always going to get asked about the whole football thing. But, I mean, Darrell Revis and Blunt and some of these other guys, doesn't seem like you hear a word from any of them. Not at all. And I'll give you one word to describe the whole situation with the New England Patriots aside from Brady and aside from Revis, and his name is Gronkowski, the Gronk. The guy is every athlete's dream in terms of personality, good looks, athletic ability. I mean, I met him over the summer at a George Willis book signing. George Willis wrote a book about Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield, and Gronkowski happened to show up. A very personable guy, a guy that, you know, is well-liked and respected throughout the league, and he is just the kind of guy that you can tell that when he's on that field, he has just as much fun as when he's off the field. As a matter of fact, when they lost last year, they had him at a club celebrating and dancing like he won the Super Bowl. <laughs> so he is just, uh, you know, he's a breath of fresh air for not only the Patriots, but for the NFL as well. Um, final quick question. I have to ask you, who you got? You know, I'm a New York fan through and through, so it really, really irks me to have to say this because I, I don't like anything from Boston except the clam chowder. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm picking New England for a couple of reasons. I think that if you give Belichick two weeks to prepare for a team, he's going to make those adjustments. I think that from an offensive standpoint, with LeGarrette Blunt running the ball as the way he is, you got Gronkowski, I think that they can neutralize that Seattle defense. Uh, offensively, Seattle, they're going to have some challenges, as we saw against that game against Green Bay, where they needed basically a miracle to pull that game out. They don't have quality possession receivers that scare you. Again, uh, you know, the running game with Marshawn Lynch is going to be a big part, but I see um, New England winning something like um, 27-20. All right. Andrew, always great to talk to you, man. Andrew Rosario from Arise TV. Uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, bro. Thank you, Mark, and we'll definitely talk afterwards. Absolutely. You take care. Great. Bye-bye. We got about uh, we got a little bit more than a minute left, right? I thought it was something like that. Okay, two minutes left. Uh, I do a segment called To the Ridiculous, all right? Now, Jason, you heard about this drone that crashed on the White House grounds, all right? Did you hear who was operating that particular drone? Yeah, he was drunk. Drunk droning. <laughs> Something like that. But see, here's the thing. He's a government worker. He was a go- he works for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh not so intelligent apparently. They're a little known but enormous agency with a broad mission. Apparently, the employee, who, whose name apparently hasn't been released yet, is not involved in work related to drones or unmanned uh, aerial vehicles in any capacity for the government. The drone was a personally owned item. Hey, can you get that on Fingerhut? <laughs> where, do you, where do you go to buy a drone? All right. Now, they're reviewing the case to determine whether they can bring any charges. <clears throat> he self-reported the thing. All right. He went and told him, yeah, it was me. I was drunk. I crashed a, a, a drone on the White House grounds. Uh, why would you be anywhere near the White House gr- grounds with a drone? You work for the government. 
Maybe, you know, you could go to your house in Virginia or your house in Maryland or your house someplace in the district, get all of that done. But uh, what are you going to do? Listen, we've had a very, very fast-moving show this evening. I want to thank all of you for listening. Thanks to Jason Taubenfeld for keeping us on the path. Stay tuned for all the great programming on the Progressive Radio Network. That's prn.fm. We'll be back here next Wednesday. Promise. So have a great evening and a better week ahead.